Job, Job chapter number 36. Job 36. We'll read together verse 1 through 25. We'll leave off reading there. Give a brief review of Elihu, Job's friend. And then the Lord willing, next week we'll pick up with Job 36, verse 26 through Job 37. And then we'll hear what God has to say to Job beyond next Wednesday. Job 36, beginning in verse number 1. Elihu also proceeded and said, Suffer me a little, and I will show thee that I have yet to speak on God's behalf. I will fetch my knowledge from afar and will ascribe righteousness to my maker. For truly my words shall not be false. He that is perfect in knowledge is with thee. Behold, God is mighty and despiseth not any. He is mighty in strength and wisdom. He preserveth not the life of the wicked, but giveth right to the poor. He withdraweth not his eyes from the righteous, but with kings are they on the throne. Are they on the throne? Yea, he doth establish them forever, and they are exalted. And if they be bound in feathers and be holden in cords of affliction, then he showeth them their work and their transgressions that they have exceeded. He openeth also their ear to discipline and commandeth that they return from iniquity. If they obey and serve him, they shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasures. But if they obey not, they shall perish by the sword and they shall die without knowledge. But the hypocrites in heart heap up wrath. They cry not when he blindeth them, when he bindeth them, excuse me. They die in youth, and their life is among the unclean. He delivereth the poor in his affliction, and openeth their ears in oppression. Even so, he would, uh, would he have removed thee out of the strait into a broad place where there is no straightness, and that which uh, should be set on thy table should be full of fatness. But thou hast fulfilled the judgment of the wicked. Judgment and justice take hold on thee. Because there is wrath, beware, lest he take thee away with his stroke. Uh, then a great ransom cannot deliver thee. Will he esteem thy riches? No, not gold, nor all the forces of strength. Desire not the night when people are cut off in their place. Take heed, regard not iniquity, for... Uh, this hast thou chosen rather than affliction. Behold, God exalteth by his power who teacheth like him. Who hath enjoined him to his way, or who can say thou hast wrought iniquity? Remember that thou magnify his work which men behold. Every man may see it, man may behold it afar off. Just a brief review, just a brief note or two about Elihu. You remember he's a young man that is set uh, through all the back and forth of Job and his three friends. The first three friends as they went back and forth. We looked at that chapter after chapter after chapter. Job's three friends have accused Job. They don't have any grounds for it, but they've accused him. It's a supposition. It's an assumption on their part. And that angered Elihu. Uh, Job had claimed himself righteous and felt like God had forsaken him. And God had done him wrong and convicted an innocent man. And that angered Elihu. As he began speaking in chapter 32, we saw that. And then Elihu began speaking. We just mentioned, of course, in chapter 32. And he will speak uh, through chapter number 37. 
There are four speeches. We tried to point that out week before last. Chapter 33, verse 1, uh, Elihu says, Wherefore, Job, I pray they hear my speeches, plural, hear my speeches and hearken to all my words. His first speech is found in chapters 32 and 33. His second speech in chapter 34. His third speech, chapter 35. And his last speech is chapters 36 and 37. We'll look at part of that tonight, the remainder of it, next Wednesday, the Lord willing. I have to say this. I've looked at it again and again. I disagree wholeheartedly with those who accuse Job of being a young, smart aleck. I uh, those, excuse me, that accuse Elihu, the young man, the young friend of Job, I totally reject that. He is the only one that's a friend to Job in this. He is the only one that enters into his infirmities and says, Job, you all messed up in your thinking. You've lost a right focus of God. These other friends have basically said, Job, you're a guilty man. That's why you're a suffering man. Elihu don't know what he's done, where he's been, don't know what he said. He's not interested in that. But he says, Job, your view of God's all fouled up, son. It's all messed up. And I'm going to bring you back to a right. If you'll listen to me, I'm going to bring you, bring your focus right toward God again. And that's his admonition throughout these four speeches and throughout these several chapters. You remember when he introduced himself in chapter 32, he just kept saying in one way or another, he just kept saying, I have something to say. I've been sitting here all this time. Now, it's my time to speak. I think we like it into maybe a, uh, a tea kettle on a hot stove eye. And now he's just, he's moved. He's got to say something. They've all silenced themselves. Job, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar. And he has sat through it all. And he says, guys, all of you are wrong. And he's going to address it all. In chapter number 33, he says, Job, you seem to think God is silent, but I want to remind you, God speaks to his children. Now, that's a friend. When the heavens seem to be brass, for somebody to come sit by your side and say, no, wait a minute now. God has given us his word, and his word says this and such. And God speaks through his people, and God speaks through his providence and how he has worked in your own life. Don't ever forget, God does speak to his children, friend. And then in chapter number 34, he says, Job, you've accused God of being distant and absent. But God's not distant. God's on the scene. And that ought to cause all of us to rejoice in our hearts. In chapter number 35, he says, Job, you think God doesn't care, but God cares for you. Yes, Job, even you in all of your pain and despair, God cares for you. I'm glad God not only cares for Job, but he cares for Ray, and he cares for Donald, and he cares for Jay, and he cares for Brianna and Savannah, and he cares for Gabe and Mike and Debbie. I'm glad God cares for all of his youngins. Can I get a witness tonight? I'm glad God cares. Let the world quit caring. God will never give up on his children. He didn't give up on Job. He didn't throw him away. And God doesn't, God doesn't do us that way, does he? And we ought to rejoice in that. But uh, Elihu is not, uh, he, he's not what he's been accused of being by some. He, he's just not. He has sat here 
And he's watched these friendships literally fall apart. I mean, these men, these three men that came from afar, they so cared for Job, they traveled great distances to meet one another to begin with. And then they travel a great distance, all of them together, to come and sit by Job's side. And they're so shocked by what they find at the city dump with him sitting in the ash heap. They don't say it. They don't say a word for seven days. And now, after Job speaks in the third chapter, and then Elihu starts, and then Bildad starts in, and Zophar, as crude as, and rude as he was, and he's seen now all this back and forth. He's watched these friendships fall apart. And he's listened to God be re- misrepresented. He's heard Job being accused. And uh, these men are arguing from their traditional teachings. It's just what they've heard. Uh, we, we heard all our life. Well, we've observed all our life. If a man is a cripple, well, he must have sinned. And so, and so Elihu, here he comes on the scene. And he proves a most valuable friend. I want to say something about that before we leave uh, tonight. So he's listened to them. And uh, where his other three friends, Job's other three friends have failed, Elihu does succeed in pointing uh, not Job toward repentance, but pointing Job toward God. And if we get pointed toward God, repentance will follow. And prayer will follow. Humility will follow. A grateful heart will follow. Brother Jay was praying, he and Brother Chris were praying for us. Brother Jay was praying for our Bible reading. Now, I won't ask for a vote tonight, but if we ask for a vote, how many of you are Christians? I wonder how many hands would go up. And so to follow on the heels of that, all of us should be Bible readers, right? And prayers. You remember what Jesus said about when you fast? He didn't say if, he just assumed it just comes along with The package, right? When you pray, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites are. That's just part of who we are. The Spirit of God moved in. He moved all these accessories in with us. (laughs) I had no idea what I was getting into when I got saved. I'm just glad I was getting out of hell. Thank God. I knew I deserved it. So, uh Here's, here's something unique. We, point, we pointed this out two weeks ago. Two, two things unique about Elihu's four speeches. Job never argues with him. He has a rebuttal for all three speeches of Eliphaz. He has a rebuttal every time Bildad opened his mouth and accused him. He had a rebuttal for the harsh words, uh, the two different speeches of Zophar, but he does not argue with Elihu. Elihu's right. And another unique thing about Elihu and what he has to say is it opens the door for God to speak. God speaks on the heels of Elihu's words. Wouldn't it be good if we could so represent the Lord where we work, where we live, and in our community, and in the school, among our friends, among our family and acquaintances, if we so uh, could leave a word uh, so that God with liberty can say something to the party we're speaking to. I said something to our men in the prayer room, and I've spoken to Amanda about and mentioned the name of an old friend, and we have messaged the last many days. And he's remembered some good days, some good years in our lives. 
And I want to see him right with God before he leaves this walk of life. I want to, I have such a hunger for him in my heart. And I don't want to misspeak to him. And if you threw him into a fight, he's coming out on top. He did back in high school. He did on the school bus we rode. He did in his college days. As a matter of fact, he was a fullback in high school. And instead of going around a, a defensive player at Blue Mountain, he run right over the top of him. He had a touch and went out of his way, run right over the top of him. He's just that rough. I want to see him tender for God. I told you about Brother Curtis Gibson. When he moves into a trailer park to start a new church, he asked God to move him in. Open the trailer in the trailer park. Open the, open the door for the one for me to rent right next door to the biggest, meanest, most foul-mouthed fellow there and help me win him to you. He said when, 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 when that guy gets saved, it's about like raising Lazarus from the dead. Everybody knows it. He said the law called on him. So, anyways, Job offers no rebuttal to Elihu. And Elihu has so much to say. Let me give you just a, a, just a brief reminder. It'd be very brief. Of uh, the last chapter, chapter 35, when we looked at his last speech, it will remind you and lead us right into chapter 36, verses 1 to 25. Elihu began to speak in verses 1 through 8, and when he gets around saying what he's saying, he's going to remind Job, Job, God is unchangeable. You said that doesn't matter. If you get a bad diagnosis, that's going to matter to you. To know that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's God, and beside him there is none other. In, uh, the, in our last chapter, verses 9 through 11, Elihu then made a much-needed emphasis on the nearness of God and the fact that, you remember in those verses, he said that he's the one that gives songs in the night. When your heart is hurting, he's the only one who can give that. Songs in the night. There's not a devil in hell understands that. How that you can have your world ripped apart. And yet then there you are singing Amazing Grace at 2 in the morning. Or praying and thanking God. I, I think about uh, Harry. I still miss him. I, Melissa, I know you do. The whole family does. He was the family's pick. I told him that on several occasions. But the last months of his life when we would pray together, I'd be praying. He'd just start in thanking God. Thank God for a good life. His blessings. He just started in thanking God. May we cultivate that in our lives. And then Elihu gave to Job and his friends a valuable reminder in two different areas. First of all, he gave Job a word regarding prayer, verses 12 and 13. He, talks about who, he talked about who God hears and who he doesn't hear. Then verses 14 to 16, he gave Job a personal word. And really, in essence, what he said to him is, Job, you're just going to have to wait on God and if we wait on God, we're waiting on his timing. And God's timing's perfect timing. Brother Lynn and I were on a video chat this morning. Uh, he thinks I get up at 4 o'clock every morning. <laughs> I'm kidding. He was waiting on something, somebody. Wasn't Corey. But then we got talking about punctuality. Yeah, yeah. Someone in your life may be late 
habitually, but God is not ever late. He's on time. Amen. All right, tonight, Job 36, 1 to 25, this will go um, in, in a hurry. But what Elihu is going to remind uh, Job of is that God is great. I think we do our children a favor when we set them down at the table and teach them to pray repetitively to begin with. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Then you can add to that. God is great. That's what Elihu says in chapter 36 in verses 1 to 25. God is great. Um, He is vast. He is almighty. He is all-powerful. God can change whatever we may be facing. But this thing ain't rigged up all about us. He is God. Elihu introduces his speech here in verses 1 through 4. Notice with me his introductory remarks, verses 1, 2, and 3. Elihu also proceeded and said, in other words, he's beginning his last speech here, Suffer me. In other words, allow me a little space. Let me speak again. He says, suffer me a little, and I will show thee that I have yet to speak on God's behalf. He says, Job, what I have to say to you, I say, as the voice of God, if you will, if you'll listen to me, he says in verse 3, I will fetch my knowledge from afar and will ascribe righteousness to my maker. He underlines the righteousness of God. Verse number 4, he speaks the truth about God again. Then he's going to speak a word of comfort to Job. And here in verse number 4, for truly my words shall not be false. Then he says, he that is perfect in knowledge is with thee. He said, Job, he knows where you are and he is here with you. God's on the scene. He has perfect knowledge of who you are and what you face. Notice with me, if you will, in verses 5 through 25, um, he talks about how that God exercises power over humanity. Now, in the remaining part of his speech that we'll notice next week, he has power over the seasons, over nature. That's what he's going to point him to. He says, God is powerful. He's almighty, verses 5 to 10. Let's read all of these verses. Behold, God is mighty and despiseth not any. He is mighty in strength and wisdom. He preserveth not the life of the wicked, but giveth right to the poor. He withdraweth not his eyes from the righteous, but with kings are they on the throne. Yea, he doth establish them forever, and they are exalted. And if they be bound in feathers fetters, and be holden in cords of affliction, then he showeth them their work and their transgressions that they have exceeded. He openeth also their ear to discipline and commandeth that they return from iniquity. What's he saying? Among other things, he is saying that God doesn't ignore his people. Elihu is saying that God takes careful notice, both of the unrighteous and the righteous, both of the lost and the saved. He knows all about the lost man. If you're here tonight, he knows all about you. You might have the preacher fooled, your church fooled. But God knows you. He sees you. 
He knows all about the righteous. In other words, those declared righteous who stand in Christ. Uh, He knows all about us. Yet he still cares for us. What's he going to do with those that are declared wicked, those outside Christ? He's going to punish you. That's part of what gripped the heart of Mallory here a couple of weeks ago. It's part of the gospel, isn't it? How that Christ died for our sins. He didn't die just to be a martyr. He died for our sins. We're sinners. Outside of Christ, we're sinners in the sight of God. Worthy of hell. Worthy of judgment. Worthy of the lake of fire. Worthy of condemnation. Aliens. Strangers to the commonwealth of God. Enemies. At enmity with God. To reject God's Son is to shake our fist, if you will, at His sacrifice and spurn it. There are those of the liberal mindset, even in our Baptist churches, to say, oh, God won't won't send somebody to hell. What else is He going to do with them? He said He would do it. What other judgment would he go to or she go to other than the great white throne judgment of God? Why wouldn't he cast a lost person into the lake of fire as he cast death and hell itself in there? He declared he would do it. God cannot lie. There's one way to heaven. That's through Jesus Christ. There's one gospel. God has one word he has left with us. And that word declares the gospel of Christ. He takes notice of all. Job had felt like that God had withdrawn himself. You remember that? And and, and if you feel like God's withdrawn himself from your life, then, then what you're contending is is that God is ignoring you. Job contended. God doesn't. God doesn't care. God has withdrawn his hand uh, from my life. Look at verse number 7. And all of this, Elihu, keep, Elihu keeps answering Job's contentions. Look at verse 7. He withdraweth not his eyes from the righteous. He says, Job, God's not ignoring you. He knows your address. He knows your social security number. Job, he knows all about you. He knows your favorite color. His eyes are not away from you, not withdrawn from you. His eyes are upon you. He's looking right at you, Job. Elihu seems to say in verses 9 through 12, Job, God does chasten his people so that he may transform his people. That's the purpose of chastening, isn't it? It's a purpose that a father chastening a son, a mother, a daughter, whatever the case may be. So it is with God. He chastens whom he loves. Those who know him, he chastens us. That he may transform us. Sometimes storms come in our lives in order to rebuke us. And then there are storms that come into our lives in order just to transform us and sanctify us. Make us more Christ-like. Sometimes it's a combination of the two. 9 to 12, he, he says, Then he showeth them their work and their transgressions that they have exceeded. He openeth also their ear to discipline and commandeth that they 
return from iniquity, if they obey and serve. Well, I'm getting beyond that. No, no, verses 11 and 12 as well. If they obey and serve him, they shall spend their days in prosperity. The idea is spend their days out and their years in pleasures. But if they obey not, they shall perish by the sword and they shall die without knowledge. In verses 13 to 15, there's a difference in how the godly and the ungodly live and how they die. He's going to mention the hypocrites in heart. Uh, look, if you will, 13 to 15. But the hypocrites in heart, uh, heart heap up wrath. They cry not when he bindeth them. That's the hypocrites in heart, he says, do that. He says, as a matter of fact, he said to go a step further with him, they die in youth and their life is among the unclean. And that doesn't mean everyone that's died young has died a wicked death. That's not what that means, but God does cut a man off. And I'd be afraid to name a name. But I think I have seen where God cut some people off young in life. It happened swiftly. And it was, it was a hurt to the family and to the friends. It almost left people speechless. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. The hypocrite in heart, he speaks of them. That is the godless in heart. The godless in heart. You can, uh, you can say, well, if they had more of the discipline of God in their lives, it would change them, but not so. Not so. And then he reminds us in verse number 15, he delivereth the poor in his affliction. That's the humble he's talking about. And openeth their ears in oppression. Look with me at verses 16 and 17, particularly in verse number 16. Uh, Elihu says, Even so would he have removed thee out of the strait into a broad place where there is no straightness, and that which should be set on thy table should be full of fatness. But thou hast fulfilled the judgment of the wicked. Judgment and justice take hold uh, on thee. When he speaks of, of God wooing Job from the straight place, the place of distress, to a broad place, that's a spacious place. Job's laden down with burden upon his back, upon his knees. He's suffering. God's, God desires to bring him from that, to bring him to a better place. I remember uh, Brother J.C. House and I were preaching at uh, Rice's Valley Baptist Church. This was about 2009. We were preaching the uh, Bible, annual Bible conference. Brother Sam Delaney's from Northern uh, Ireland. And uh, he's been pastor there for a lot of years. Rochester's would sing, and we, we preached. We had the privilege of preaching. And we were preaching on a Sunday morning. I preached the Sunday school hour in Brother House, Dr. House. He's from Joshua, Texas. And he, uh, he's the best preacher I've ever heard on stewardship. Just take a text and deal with. Um, when I was at a hurricane, we had him every year do a Sunday on stewardship. Best I've ever heard on stewardship. But uh, I announced my text, and, uh, and then, Brother, it was Second Kings chapter 4. And then Dr. House got up during the worship hour, and he said, I have been very interested in the service thus far. He said, uh, he said when, when Brother Merritt announced his text, he, sa he said, I thought, this is going to be interesting. I'm preaching from the same text. We never intruded on each other. As a matter of fact, the last time that happened was last year. At the Calvary Baptist Camp meeting in Newton, Georgia, uh, Brother Dan Odom, who pastors in Newton, uh, he preached out of, uh, out of a text. Then I felt like, I, matter of fact, that's the only set of notes I had in the back of my Bible. I preached twice out there. 
Usually it's either Monday and Wednesday night or Tuesday and Wednesday night. And I thought, I remembered uh, Brother House, and I thought, now this is fixing to get interesting. And we both preached the same text. What he dealt with out of the text, he dealt with the context of it, and I did too. We both dealt with this. Never stepped on each other. Never. It's amazing how God can put that together, isn't it? It speaks to the inexhaustibility of the Word of God. Go to the well. You're not going to drain it dry. Now, let me say this. I've got, got near as far as I felt maybe I would be at this time. But verses 18 to 25, I want to emphasize what I did two weeks ago and then what I'm trying to emphasize tonight. That's the fact that Elihu plays the part of a faithful friend. A faithful friend. Um, hold your place here. <clears throat> and for time's sake, I'm just going to read one verse and we may come back and use this as my introduction next week to finish up Elihu's part in the book of Job. Look at Proverbs 27, verse 6. And then we'll read these last verses of our text tonight. Elihu plays the part of a faithful friend. Um, a lot could be said along this line about friends, influences in our lives. As a matter of fact, when I mention David out of the Old Testament, David and his friend, who do you think about? Jonathan, absolutely, hands down, Jonathan. You remember when Jonathan went to David when he was in the wilderness of Ziph? He risked his life for his friend. He wanted to be a help to his friend. If I were to mention the name Amnon in the Old Testament, the Bible says he had a friend. And you remember what took place because he had a friend. Incest took place. It does matter who you spend time with. All of us. It matters. Our men, about every Sunday, somebody will pray for the young people of our church and you know why they they want to pray for the young people of our church every one of our men at one time or another who's a regular in the prayer room has mentioned pray for our young people and this past sunday our three graduates were mentioned you know why who they spend time with is going to make a big tell-all in their life Anybody know anybody that you went to school with, they was raised right, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and then they got in college and got around the wrong crowd? Yeah. Now, let me do pause to say this. Thank God for those who don't go astray. Thank God for those. There's a bunch of them out there that will do right. And I thank God for their testimonies. I remember an older preacher that I have great respect for. I remember him saying one night, I hadn't been saved long. He said, you know, I didn't think I could answer the call to preach. He said, I didn't think I had lived wickedly enough. He said, I never had done some of the things I heard everybody uh, that was preaching in all the Baptist churches say they had done. He said, I listened to my mom and dad, et cetera, and go on with that. Notice, notice here, Proverbs 27, verse number 6. By the way, Proverbs 27 has a lot to say about friendship. 
Isn't that interesting? One of the books of the Bible has a lot to say about it. Not just in chapter 27, but chapter 27 has a lot to say about friendship. Look, if you will, 27.6, Proverbs. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You know who a real friend is? It's somebody that will be honest with you. Now, that's a friend. Um, if there be advantages in, their, in your life, he or she will applaud you for that. If there be disadvantages in your life, they'll point it out. If they are a friend, if they are a true friend, they'll be honest. He says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. A wound hurts, doesn't it? But faithful are the wounds of a friend. Somebody that'll, that'll just tell you. They're not trying to hurt you. They're trying to help you. They're not trying to tear you down. They're trying to lift you up. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Watch this. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Who do you think about in the Bible? With a deceitful kiss. Judas Iscariot. As a friend. He passed himself off as a friend. You remember what Jesus said to him? In the upper room. He said what thou doest. Do it quickly. He said you get this over with. And there under the guise of friendship. He kissed the cheek. Of Jesus Christ. And betrayed him. He's the Benedict Arnold of a, in a spiritual sense, if you will, kissed our Lord on the cheek. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Just hold that right there. Might be a good thing to preach on this coming Sunday with it being senior recognition, you think? Might just put it together for Sunday. May not, but may. Go back to the book of Job, chapter number 36, 18 to 25. Notice the warnings issued by Elihu as a friend. As a friend. Verses 18 through uh, 25. Again, he's going to emphasize the fact, Job, your attitude toward God's all fouled up. If you don't get this thing back in check, if you don't get this thing back in order, there's further problems coming in your life. He says in verses 18 and 19, in essence, we're fixing to read the verses, but Elihu's going to say to Job, Job, we can't buy you out of this problem, Job. Of course, Job has nothing left of his own. Verses 18 and 19, because there is wrath, beware, uh, lest he take thee away with his stroke, then a great ransom cannot deliver thee. Will he esteem thy riches? No, not gold nor all the forces of strength. If we aren't careful, somebody will, Pay our way out, right? And I'd tell you some things that, that I'm aware of that I wish I were not aware of. I know of a situation where uh, two neighbors were in a house. The, the wife, the mother woke up, and there's a house that's burning to the ground. And the husband said, no, you go back to bed. He was party to that. I know of a situation where a man took a pickup truck and an excavator, buried the pickup truck, and made an insurance claim. I 
I know of some situations where men sold drugs and because there was money on the table, there was no punishment. As a matter of fact, in Union County, Mississippi, there was a man that said he was sitting at the table when tens of thousands of dollars in cash was passed across the table to an official to keep a young man from punishment. He says, Job, we can't buy you out of this, son. This is where you are in life. Somebody said this, said money can cover up many things in today's society, but money covers nothing with God. There was an article that read, money is an, is an article which may be used as a universal passport to everywhere except heaven and as a universal provider for everything Accept happiness, and that's the truth. It's the absolute truth. In verse number 20, Elihu says, Job, don't, by all means, don't consider taking matters into your own hands. Look at verse number 20. Desire not the night when people are cut off in their place. Now, three times Job is desired death. You remember that? Chapter 3, he wanted to die. Chapter 7, he wanted to die. Chapter 10, he wanted to die. And he says, Job, don't take matters into your own hands. Have you ever known anybody that did that? The pain was so was unbearable. Or maybe life seemed unbearable. He says, Job, you've got it on your mind, but you don't need to do that. Don't do that. Uh, he's a preacher. Um, in uh, Union County, pastors in Union County has for years. He's older than I am. He called one night, and uh, we're not, uh, we are acquaintances. That's all we are. We, um, our biblical convictions would differ greatly. We've never ran in the same circles. I respect him, but he called, and he said, I just want to know that you're all right. And I said, I'm I'm Okay. And I said, I'm humbled that you would call. And then he called a preacher's name that I became familiar with his name, not the man who's already gone. Time I got to Thrasher, but he was from Prentice County. Life got bad for him, got real bad, and kept getting bad. It kept getting worse and worse. And he sat down and he wrote a note. Do you know who I'm talking about, Don? Yeah. And walked out behind his house with a gun, took his life. And this preacher, Neil Davis in Union County, Brother Neil and I don't run in the same circles. But he said, those of us that were close to him and looked up to him, he said, we made a pact with one another. If we learn of a preacher going anything, going through anything hard, we're going to make a phone call. And he said, preacher, I'm doing this because I lost my friend and nobody, nobody thought he was that bad off. He says, Job, don't do it. I'm almost done, I promise. Verse number 21, he says, Job, now don't give up now and throw in the towel and go to a life of sin. Look at verse 21. Take heed, regard not iniquity, Job. He said, I'm giving you a warning as a friend. Take heed, regard not iniquity. Don't look upon it, Job. For this hast thou chosen rather than affliction. He said, it's easy to do it, Job. Then in 22 through 25, Elihu says, Job, you need to once again see the greatness of God in your life. God is great, Job. 
praise him before others. 22 to 25, and I'm done. Behold, God exalteth by his power. Who teacheth like him? Who hath enjoined him his way? Or who can say thou hast wrought iniquity? He said, you know better, Job. And then he says in verse 24, Remember that thou magnify his work which men behold. Every man may see it. Man may behold it afar off. Job, go back to what you know about God. And go back to worshiping God. I used to pastor a man that every now and then in a testimonial service, he wouldn't say it all the time, but he did say it a few times. Um, and I told him, I said, toward the end of life, that'll be where you'll be tried. You got the announcement out here where the devil and everybody heard it. But I heard him say on two or three different occasions in testimonial services that he didn't want to die bitter. And that's what Elihu is warning Job about. You don't want to derail everything now. Right here at the end of life. Of course, he's got much more life to go. Let's stand. We'll be dismissed. And get y'all out of this, uh, this freezer tonight. It is not bothering me. It's just bar- bothering our pianist. It's good to be in the Lord's house on a Wednesday, isn't it? Yeah, colder the better for me. Brother Daryl Foster, would you dismiss us in prayer, please?